Mm-mm-mm. Off of a weekend that has seen Devin Haney become undisputed. Off of a weekend that has seen Stephen Fulton look good again. Off a weekend that saw a wicked one-punch knockout in Cardiff, Wales for a world title. We are back on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am merely the somewhat competent, somewhat a capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider, our content partner on Big Fight Weekend. Give it up for Dan Rayfield, who is back aboard. Undisputed in my book here as part of <laughs> Fight Freaks Unite. A lot of action this weekend, a lot to go over. Uh, good to be back with you, my friend, to go over all of it. Some excitement from, as we said, Australia to Minnesota to the UK. How you feeling? As a good weekend. Got plenty to discuss on it. It was uh, some exciting fights and some not so exciting fights. All right, so we're going to get into it. Again, reminder, however you found us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, social media link, bigfightweekend.com, Dan's Substack, which is called Fight Freaks Unite, just like this recap podcast. However you found us, make sure you're following or subscribing. This comes automatically to you. The recap usually out Sunday evening. That's our goal. And then uh, by Monday morning, you have it to recap the weekend and everything that happened. Uh, and we appreciate more and more of you. Thousands and thousands and thousands more of you found us in the month of May. We see those analytics. Thank you. Also, if you're on Apple Podcast, take 90 seconds and give us a review. Give us a review. Bow to Dan Rayfield's greatness on the prognostication. You don't know. Come on. Et cetera. You were, you were red hot this weekend. Do whatever on a review. Just give us a review. It will help. And some of you are already doing that. So thank you for that. Keep the reviews coming. Keep the reviews flowing uh, as well. So let's let's get right into it. Uh, let's start with Devin Haney's win. He is dominant win over George Cambosis in Australia. Point blank to you. Did it surprise you how uncompetitive, uncompetitive being the word I'll use, that fight truly was? What Haney turned it into uh, Saturday night late U.S. time. Did it surprise you? It did a little bit. I mean, it, the, the outcome did not surprise me. That was my pick, Devin Haney, by a... Uh, a decision victory, not in any way a surprise to me whatsoever. Uh, as I've said to you before and on other fights, and I'll say again, skills pays the bills and all respect to Cambosis, but Haney is the more skillful fighter by a lot. But I did think because of the aggressiveness that we've seen in Cambosis and uh, him being at home and him being really up for the fight the way, same way that Devin Haney was that, you know, although I didn't think he was going to win, I thought he would make him fight a little bit harder, press the action a little bit more, and it would be the kind of fight where, Haney would win, but, you know, he would have a couple of tough moments, maybe, you know, lose, you know, three, four rounds. Um, I know the official judges, two of them had it eight rounds to four. The other judge had it uh, 10 rounds to two. I had it 11 rounds to one. Mm. Eight, four to me seemed awfully, awfully close, frankly, on that kind of fight. But uh, so I was a little surprised that it was that much of a domination, but not in any way surprised that Devin Haney left that ring with his hand raised and the belts all strapped around him. Uh, he's a really outstanding boxer. And, uh, and he showed that in the way he managed to basically, as he said in his post-fight comments, just take everything away from Haney. You know, he, he, he was able to totally shut him down. There was really nothing that, that, that Cambosis could do that dented the armor. He didn't land, you know, a couple of good shots, but nothing that was too severe. And, and other than that, Haney uh, took away the right hand, uh, jabbed him to death. You know, his face was busted up at the, the end of the fight. And uh, I thought it was a, uh, a, re a really outstanding performance. And, you know, people talk about, well, that it was a boring fight. Yeah, it was not the most exciting fight, TJ, obviously. However, the reason why I liked it, and, and people, they like to get on my case because I, I, I like action fights like anybody, but I'm down for a good boxing match. What I can't stand is a boxing match where the guy who's winning and dominating 
runs or doesn't take a step forward, never tries to try to do damage or take a knockout. Uh, That's why I've always been offended by the way Rigondeau boxed. Devin Haney may not be the most exciting come forward, whatever, but he didn't run in that fight. He stood in the pocket. He boxed and moved. He jabbed. He moved. That's boxing. That's the sweet science. That's the kind of, if you're going to be in a boxing match, that's what I like to see. And what Haney did was, you know, the, the sweet science, he hit and did not get hit, but he did not hit, get hit and run. He moved, he stayed in the pocket, he moved his shoulders, he moved his head. And, uh, you know, he used his skills and his, and his both hands to, to make Cambosis look, frankly, foolish. There were times where Cambosis would load up with the right hand and throw it from nine miles away and literally just hit nothing but air because Haney was nowhere to be found after he had landed three or four punches. So he threw a lot of punches. He didn't get hit with many punches and he dominated. And, you know, he is every bit the deserving undisputed champion that he is now legit all the belts, not the, not the BS that was propagated prior to that, where people, uh, some people at my old company would talk about Cambosis and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, before him, Tifima Lopez is being undisputed when, you know, I have nothing but uh, love for those guys, but they were not undisputed. Devin Haney is now undisputed. Yeah, he won all the belts, and you gave me a lot there, so there's a lot to go over. Um, And full credit to him. Again, he had to go to Australia to do this. And up until, as we joked before, the 11th hour and the 53rd minute, when we we released – the preview podcast, we were not aware that that Bill Haney was on the way there, but they worked it out for his father, who's in his corner, who's been his trainer to get there. So you had that whole turmoil of, is he even going to be allowed to be there? He does get there, and it still didn't matter. Haney still put on a master class. I love what you said. If you can't bomb somebody out there, the art of being able to score, hit, and not get hit is what the sport's all about. And that's what he was able uh, to do. All right, to you. We we saw George Cambosis slightly overweight at the weigh-in um, late uh, Friday night U.S. time, middle of the afternoon Saturday. Cam Cambosis tried to play that off that it was part of some psychological thing. I read right through that, and it was BS. Of course, was I mean, it I a factor? Was this a factor? Do you think he was weight drained? Did he look weight drained to you as the fight went on? make something of, of that, if you will, what did you see? What do you, what do you think? The reason why I say he was not weight trained and it wasn't a big deal because he was only barely a third of a pound over. And when he came back, he was like, still, he didn't just make 135. He was like 134 and a little bit under. So he dropped, you know, three quarters of a pound or so. And that tells me he's not weight trained. If he was really, truly weight trained, he wouldn't, he would have been really struggled to get right on the 135 mark. So, you know, listen, People love to go crazy about that stuff. He missed the weight. No, bullshit. He didn't miss the weight. You missed the weight if you don't make it back in the two-hour time frame and hit the 135 or below mark. He did that with no problem. And I have covered hundreds and hundreds and maybe a thousand, I don't know how many zillions of fights I have covered in my day. Uh, I have seen guys come on the first attempt and miss weight a million times, come back, make the weight, no problem. Right. It, to me, it's completely irrelevant to what happened. You know, that extra hour and 10 minutes that it took him to drop a third of a pound uh, had no bearing on Devin Haney throwing jabs in his face and his belly the entire night and <laughs> hitting him upside the head. Okay. Now you love when I make these metaphors, there's hot air. And then my man Cambosis filled a hot air balloon with all the hot air and all the talking of the last few weeks in particular, and all the way leading up to this. And I'm not saying this to you. I'm just saying this in general, what a joke. 
Well, I mean, to do all of that talking and not be able in front of your home fans, in front of arguably one of the biggest moments for a boxer in Australia, especially with the coverage here in the U.S., for a non-performance like that, bro, he was all hot air, as it turns out. He didn't bring Listen, anything Saturday night. I, I'm I'm not even, I don't even blame George. It's not George. It's because Haney didn't let him. He took it all the way from him. Uh, you know, Haney made the point afterwards when he went, when when George tried to use the righty box into the left, when he tried to use the lefty box into the right, he took everything away, all of his attributes, he shut them down. And that's not, you know, if George didn't try or – or anything like that, then you can have a case. I don't feel like George didn't have an effort. I don't think tactically, give me some analysis. I don't think tactically he tried to do much different from what I saw. He was trying to load the right hand from what I saw. That's his weapon. That's what he got. He didn't try to crowd him at any point. Didn't try to trap him along the ropes. Didn't try to, didn't try to do anything to the body that would maybe make it different. Didn't change it up. I thought, and you're crediting more Haney wouldn't let him change it is what you're saying. I'm not saying that Cambosis has the abilities to make radical changes on the fly. That's what separates the greats from the guys who are average is people who can make adjustments when things maybe aren't going their way or when, you know, if you watch a guy on tape and then suddenly he's looking differently when you see him in the ring, you can make the adjustment. Uh, You know, that was not the case. But this is, in my opinion, this is a case of George being a really good B fighter who had a great night against Tifima Lopez Mm -hmm. and Haney being an A-level fighter and uh, taking it away from the B-level fighter. He had all the attributes going in that we all, everything that you could measure if you were like checking boxes and doing a report card. Haney's a bigger guy. Haney's a faster guy. He's got much better defense. He's got a better amateur pedigree. He's probably got, other than the Tifima Lopez win, which is a singular victory, I think actually Haney has a little bit better overall resume, not tremendously more, but a a little bit more. And you have a lot of those things that go in his favor the one thing that maybe george has better of is for one punch power but if you have a great fighter defensively and you can't land your power what good is it you could have the biggest missile in the world but if you can't deliver it what good is the missile doing sitting on the ground so everything you check off on a report card was in devin haney's advantage you know he didn't have the home crowd but it didn't matter as i said to you in the preview podcast this is a kid he didn't care about going to australia he embraced it he said right off the bat that he had no problem. We discussed, I'll go to Jupiter. He only had to go to Australia. (laughs) And furthermore, this is a guy who spent the better part of his first, like three or four years as a pro fighting in like bars and, and and clubs in Mexico uh, where everybody was against him in front of a few hundred people, granted not a big 50, you know, 40 plus thousand crowd like they had uh, in Melbourne on a Saturday night U S time. But the, the fear of going there uh, was not part of his mentality and he was lifted by the presence of his father, who I, you know, I watched some, some isolated uh, audio where they showed what his dad was telling him in the corner and his father was telling him the perfect instructions. Uh, even if the father hadn't shown up, he still had Yoel Judah there, who's a close family friend, who's a, uh, been a good trainer in his own right for many, many years. So, you know, it was, it was a perfect storm for, for Haney. Everything went his way. Uh, and it was partly because he was the guy that was just the better fighter going in the better fighter when the fight was happening and he's still the better fighter coming out. And I know that he's got a rematch. George uh, Cambosis does. He says he's going to exercise that. I mean, honestly, I know that things can change sometime in rematches. I don't see it in this one. Uh, I'm not sure what he can do differently. That would be even remotely close to being what actually score. A let's victory. go right. And there. I just don't understand why there'd be a lot of public uh, desire right, to see it. Let's frankly. go. Let's go right there. He negotiated in the one way rematch clause. That's his option. Uh, I'm with you. I saw everybody. uh, I mean, it's easy in the moment to say we don't need to see this again, but I think everybody's pretty much in agreement. 
what what leads you to believe that something would be different unless Haney doesn't take his training seriously or something fluke or freaky would have happened to Haney? He hurts himself, he gets cut, something like that. I don't know how things would be different. So speculate with me here. It's lucrative for Cambosis to do this again and make a bunch of money and have it again in Australia. But how realistic is it that maybe he doesn't do it immediately and lets Haney and risks it, lets Haney fight somebody else and then reloads himself, Cambosis, and then has the rematch later? How realistic is it that it's not the next fight and it's not like late this year, early next year, Cambosis? And his I mean, it's it. Listen, it, it's hard to say that because I don't know what the contract says. If it has to take place by a certain time, which means it would have to be next. There's a lot of different ways to write rematch clauses. I've seen plenty of fights where it's an option to do a rematch, but the guy who has the rematch clause can either choose to do it next or to allow the guy to do an interim fight. Uh, sometimes there's a deadline. Uh, we went through that situation with the deadline. You know, like when Deontay Wilder exercises option to fight Tyson Fury for the third time that's fine, but it had to be done by a certain period of time. And they wound up in, in arbitration because of the deadline. A lot of that had to do with the, the, uh, the fact that the pandemic had not allowed certain things to happen. My point is we don't know what the paperwork says, but if it's done like a traditional kind of rematch clause, certainly you would think it's possible if Cambosis wanted to, that they could uh, allow an interim fight or, or redo that agreement and make it. So there has to be an interim and then afterwards he could get the rematch. But he seemed pretty adamant that he was going to take the rematch clause. But I take all that stuff in the boxing ring and at a press conference right after a fight. I often take it with a grain of salt because I just a couple of weeks ago, I was there in Las Vegas where Canelo Alvarez went in the ring, you know, was in the ring after he uh, lost to Dimitri Bivo and, uh, and said on the DAZN broadcast he was going to take the rematch and, and, and we'll see you again in uh, September. And then he came to the press conference. And he said the same thing. And as the press conference wore on, and I was actually one of the ones that asked him about it, if he would clarify and say for sure that that was next, he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and didn't say yes, 100%. And then what happened? Uh, two weeks later, the news came that he was opting to do the rematch, the third fight with Gennady Golovkin, and there wouldn't be an immediate rematch with uh, Dimitri Bebo. So, you know, Cambosis, whatever he may have said in the immediate moments after that fight, you have to give it a little bit of breathing room. He's going to, you know, he has time officially probably, I mean, if again, if it's written like a normal contract, right. he probably has 30 days to decide or maybe 45 days to decide. But the point is he's got a little bit of time where he's really got to make it official. And, uh, you know, he deserves that right to think about it for a little bit before that uh, clock is done ticking and, and we'll see what he decides to do. Now, Devin Haney, I mean, he stands to make a huge amount of money. He made a great point, TJ. He said, why wouldn't I give him a rematch clause? I mean, I beat him the first time. And I made a lot of money and I can beat him a second time and made a lot of money. What's the difference? And if you're Cambosis, you're again weighing, if I let this go, if I let Haney fight somebody else and he loses, now the value of the, of the Haney rematch isn't the same. So I think that's likely what we're going to get, but we don't know. We don't know again. I love, I love how you said that because I've been big on this throughout my entire broadcasting career and dealing with the media and dealing with contracts and athletes with contracts. What does the contract say? Does the contract say they have to have the rematch by a certain time or it's no good? Like what you're saying, we don't know that. So right. we'll find that out in the coming days and in the coming weeks. And we'll find out if we get this again. Or now, not. I'll say this though, yeah. uh, TJ, knowing George Cambosis' team and knowing his lawyer, Mm -hmm. uh, who, by the way, same lawyer that Canelo Alvarez has, pretty sure that the rematch clause is pretty solid. Yes, 
But again, does it have a time limit on it, for example? Does it say, we don't know this, does it say that the rematch has to happen, let's say arbitrarily by March of next year? Right. And so now we the clock know. is ticking for nine months. We don't know that it says that or it doesn't, but it could. It could say the rematch has to happen by March of 2023. See, the so interesting now, thing about yeah. this, though, is, is the following, is if he doesn't do the rematch, and Haney is now open to do uh, mm -hmm. interim fighter, a non, you know, just to move on with his career and take some other fight. You know, when when Canelo passed on the Bevo rematch, he had a mega fight sitting there that was bigger than a Bevo rematch, right. and that was the third fight against Gennady Golovkin. Devin Haney, it's not. I mean, yes, he's undisputed, and there should be people out there that want to fight him, but there's not some blatantly obvious fight sitting there for him to fight that's makeable in a normal way of doing business. And when I say that, it's not like oh, he's going to suddenly fight Tank Davis in the next fight. I mean, obviously that's not going to happen for a thousand different reasons. So there's lots of great talent in the lightweight division. There's him. There's obviously, you know, George, who may not take the rematch. There's obviously a Ryan Garcia. There is Tank Davis. There are other quality fighters. We don't know the status could of fight Lomachenko, Lomachenko could when fight he comes Lomachenko back. at some point. Right. So right. that's probably Lomachenko is probably the kind of fight that would be in terms of making the fight the easiest, to, other than the Cambos rematch, because it's already locked in a contract, but to do a, a Loma fight, because they're both with top rank, and Loma was going to fight Cambosas before Cambo, uh, he withdrew because of the Ukraine situation and gave the opportunity to Devin Haney. So that would be an interesting fight, but we don't know when or or, or what the situation is with, with Loma's uh, time frame in terms of when or if he's going to come back to the boxing ring. And... Uh, you know, I don't think there'll be a Tank Davis fight. And I, Ryan Garcia, maybe they offer him the fight. He's got the fight coming up, uh, you know, in a, you know, in July. And if he wins that fight, it's not Can out I of the realm. i just tell you one more time, Oscar De La Hoya and Ryan Garcia would be nuts not to do a deal with top rank, with Devin Haney for the undisputed title, and bet on yourself. And maybe it's not televised on DAZN, but bet on yourself to go win that. Well, but that's then the you got to control I mean, the whole division. That's easy for me to say, but to but me, here's they're the crazy thing, not they to have, take that. They, Golden Boy's entire business relies on DAZN, not just one fighter. So they can't leave their broadcaster in the lurch. And I'm pretty sure <clears throat> I'd be willing to bet on this, frankly, that there's some kind of language that would uh, probably Prohibited. preclude them Prohibited. from walking yeah, away from them for that fight. But here's the other thing about it. I'm fascinated by the prospect of a Haney uh, Garcia fight. You know, a lot of people don't know this. They don't care about it. They don't pay attention. I care about it. And I know about it. And I follow this stuff. When they were amateurs, Devin Haney yep. only had eight losses. Two of those eight losses came against Ryan Garcia. Hello. They were, they fought four times. They were two and two against each other. And, uh, and they know each other, you know, and they were, they were, uh, there was a little bit of back and forth on, on Twitter. But again, all. this is boxing. We, we can make these things happen, whatever. If you're, if you're golden boy and you say to DAZN, we have to go do this as the one-off, he's going to win. And then the rematch would be on DAZN exclusively. And we're going to get that written into the deal. That if we're coming to fight you, I'm just, I'm just negotiating for everybody right now. Sure. On the Fight Freaks Unite uh, recap podcast. The one, one thing you should know though, is this, if there's going to be, I mean, for a long time, they were mortal enemies. So, you know, we called the cold war with the, when the Pacquiao situation occurred a long time ago when he signed with both companies and it wound up in a million lawsuits and they were the two strongest companies out there and they didn't do fights together. And it was a real, a real mess. And they finally settled in it. We saw a whole slew of their fights together in the last several years, you know, not like they're doing business every single day, but the people at golden boy, the people at top rank, they get along. Okay. Now they've done a number of deals together. Uh, uh, and that would be putting the broadcast situation to the side just for the executives for Bob Arum, for uh, Todd Dubuff, Carl Moretti to sit down with Oscar, with their lawyer, uh, you know, with Eric Gomez, 
you know, Robert Diaz with the people that run the business at Golden Boy, they get along and they're able to make deals. They've done them a number of times over the last few years. Uh, so that perspective, that part of it to do a Haney Garcia fight, you know, would be possible. And I say that because Ryan brings the eyeballs and the popularity and the money. Haney brings the titles. He doesn't have the kind of popularity uh, of, of Ryan Garcia. And frankly, and then no offense to, to Devin whatsoever, he didn't exactly make a ton of fans the other night just because it wasn't like this overwhelming, phenomenal fight, even though we put on a brilliant performance. Um, so, but they both bring something to the table. One is the popularity, one is the belts. What uh, remains to be seen? We got to see what George Cambo is. He's the one that's going to, he's got his, that domino has to be the first to fall. Is he taking the rematch? If he is, then none of this matters. If he decides not to, then it becomes, uh, uh, a matter of, uh, you know, of what else are they going to do? I had somebody on Twitter suggest me a fight they'd like to see. That would be a fun fight would be, um, if George doesn't do the rematch, see Cambosis against Roley Romero, that'd be a fun fight. Again, though, you got to, got to work out cross promotion, blah, blah, blah. But again, yeah, but they Cambosis both coming off lost. So that's yep, a lot yep. less complicated. Sure. And you can make that happen. Uh, again, I love this insight. We're going to move on to uh, other fights and the other recaps. We've got a couple other ones to cover, obviously, from Minneapolis and from Cardiff, Wales. One more on this. Uh, and look, with the full understanding, you used to work with the Four Letter Network, with ESPN, the worldwide leader. I get that. Um, again, I've worked for a capacity of ESPN in the past. We all love ESPN for all of the coverage, all the events, all of the sports. But for the love of all that was holy, what was that Saturday night with talking heads, talking heads, talking heads for an hour plus showing only one undercard fight within about an hour or an hour 45 before Cambosis Haney happened? I mean, look, I know enough about the TV industry to describe it this way. 10 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday night is prime real estate. It is like, let's let's bring it to uh, Manhattan penthouse. Let's bring it to Miami beachfront property. Let, let's, I mean, bring it to whatever you want to call it on the Malibu cliffs of California. It is prime real estate. And for those guys to just be standing and talking in the Marvel Stadium and throwing to a package TV term and come back and stand and talk some more and throw to another live interview and come back and stand and talk some more with no boxing. Don't forget Maddening. George, go mad George go. George Cambos is being massaged on his back yes I mean they showed the same feature multiple times I've never yes. seen that I've been watching sports television I'm, I'm 51 years old I've been watching sports television since I'm a child never seen two uh the same feature run twice and they took multiple features and ran them multiple times now I did a lot of tv I used to do the boxing yep. fights for epics for you know a few years etc I know about tap dancing you know we were the secondary broadcaster for those fights on epics where we were taking the feed from Germany or from some other place in Europe and so you didn't have an ex you know we were not in control of when they ring walked and all that so we always had like a half an hour of stuff prepared some some video packages uh, discussion points, you know, graphics of rankings. And we knew that we needed, if we needed to fill anywhere from, you know, 15 minutes, maybe as much as 45 minutes before they ring walk for the fight. And we were able to do that. So I actually felt bad. I mean, look, guys like Joe Tessitore and Mark Kriegel and Timothy Bradley, I, they're my former colleagues. Those are good guys. They're, they're pros. pros. They're, they're pros. They're, they're, I consider them friends and I've nothing but respect for the work they did. I felt so bad for them because it's not their fault. They are, tap dancing let's be honest they know they're trying to fill but the mad and so that was one thing there's always that on live sports tv where if you're doing a little bit of a build-up to the event no one has a problem with 10 or 15 minutes of the of the discussion or a feature piece that's all good gets you revved up but it got to a point 
where it was like you said, it was almost two hours with nothing. And when you say they did an undercard fight, the undercard fight, which was Lucas Brown against Junior Fa, a heavyweight bout, the fight lasted less than one full round. So, and they had, a, and, the, and the co-feature with Jason Maloney against Aston Palicte, which by the way, Maloney looked good in the third round knockout to put himself back in the Bantamweight uh, uh, situation mm-hmm. in terms of possible title fights, et cetera. But the point was, the maddening part was there was on the bout sheet, there were two swing fights scheduled, meaning fights that weren't necessarily going to be on TV, but they would use them in the ring in case of exactly the situation that occurred, which is quick knockouts. Because remember in Australia, this was on pay-per-view and other territories and countries all around the world were showing this. The thing that was maddening TJ is this, is that while you saw the ESPN guy standing at the table, talking and talking and talking and talking, you could see guys in the boxing room behind them fighting. And for whatever reason in, in Japan, in Australia, in Europe, you know, wherever, all around the world, those broadcasters that had the rights to this event were showing those swing fights. I was told by somebody involved in the event that was on the ground in Melbourne for whatever reason that has not been explained, that ESPN, which certainly had the rights to show those fights, elected not to show those bouts. And so when they didn't show those bouts, that meant an hour and 40 minutes or whatever of just nothing but blather. I would have been fine if it was a half an hour. Okay. I get it. No sweat. Let's get the guys in the ring. Right. A hundred plus minutes of bullshit. (laughs) Waste of time. And again, prime real estate, not waste of time in in, at 1 AM or 2 AM. This is a 10 PM, 11 PM window on a Saturday night where they would typically have college football. They would have an NBA finals game that they they have on Sunday night. It was just, I was like, or I was like, what is going on here? It was yeah. the most bizarre thing. And on top well, of that, obviously, now, this- we know what we know a lot about this. Obviously, they made the decision that if these fights have ended early, we're not going to show these fighters that are in the swing fight that don't have any relevance. We're going to continue to build the main event. Then the people and that then made they that got decision- stuck. They got stuck in that vortex of this is taking way too long. But they could have gone once they realized that they could have maybe not shown the first swing fight and they could have realized the error of their ways and shown the second swing fight. Whoever made that decision, Mm. and I don't know who it is, whatever executive or production person made that decision, I hope is in somebody's higher up office on Monday morning being read the riot act for putting on one of the worst boxing produced telecasts that I've ever seen in my 40 plus years of watching (laughs) boxing. Because when you look at boxing matches that are boxing events as televised on ESPN, which does outstanding work, I mean, in terms of production of all sports events, they produce and and televise the biggest sporting events in the world. Um, But between boxing on ESPN, on DAZN, on Showtime, on Fox, obviously for many years on on HBO, going back to the days when I watched boxing on the the broadcast networks when I was a kid, ABC, CBS, NBC. This was a putridly produced broadcast. They cut away from fights before the rounds were over. They came back to some of the rounds before, you know, after they had started. I mean, they, they, they cut away. I mean, look, they made us wait 100 plus minutes before the fight started. And then when the fight was over, they didn't stick around on the linear network to do the, bro- to do the interview with the new champ, you know, with the undisputed champion of the world. Who's an American. That's an- Who's an, American, Who's an American, by the way? That's like, and I mean, it's not like, I mean, I get that they wanted to get to Sports Center, but it was already 1230, 1245 at night. 
There was nothing earth shattering because they even opened the telecast of Sports Center with a talk back between Mark Kriegel at ringside about the <laughs> fight. More talking, talking, talking. The only <laughs> one I wanted to hear talk at that point was with Devin Haney, the new undisputed champion of the world. Oh, I know. We're worked I'm up over this. I'm going to have a goddamn this. heart attack right now talking about I this. Understand. It's so pissed me off. I understand. And and again, we're used to uh, unforeseen things that cause delays. That's one thing. But this was not unforeseen. They had boxing to show, and they were choosing not to show it, and it just it took away from all of it. We have vented. Let's take a breath <sighs> on the Fight Freaks Unite recap, and let us move on, shall we? Okay, so we continue as we hang here with Dan Rayfield. Love this man's insight, his perspective on all of this. Uh, meanwhile, on Showtime, and I was keeping you up to date on this uh, because it was going on while the delays were going on and while the – uh, Jason Maloney fight was happening in the ring. They were getting the David Morrell fight, the co-feature on Showtime in Minneapolis in the ring. He won impressively by TKO. And then Stephen Fulton won his unified Super Bantamweight Championship bout with Danny Roman pitching a near shutout, much like Devin Haney. All right, Dan, in the recap mode, give me your thoughts on the Showtime card in Minnesota, premier boxing champions and those bouts. Go ahead. A much better produced card with coherence. They opened with the replay of Tank Davis's knockout against Rolly Romero for those who may not have seen it or wanted to watch it. And then they went to the two live fights. Okay, so we'll start with David Morrell, the super middleweight, owner of the WBA uh, regular title, if you will, taking on uh, Calvin Henderson, um, uh, a guy that really didn't do anything to warrant a title shot. But then again, Morrell hadn't really done anything to warrant the title shot in the first place either. Um, he's got the belt, but I just still – he's an excellent fighter. He's, he's got size. He's got some swagger to him. He's got some charisma. He's got good punching power. He's obviously well-skilled. This is a kid that's 24 years old, but he learned his craft as a member of the Cuban national team with a tremendous amount of amateur experience, which is why he would able to, was able to come into the pro ranks and, and not fight the, the nobody kind of four-rounders to kick off his career. He may not have been fighting the elite guys or the top contenders, but every single guy he's fought in his pro career thus far, which is only seven fights uh, old at this point, has been like at least a, a legit professional, not a, not a, you know, a, a novice or, a, or just a nobody type opponent. Uh, but if you're going to continue to hold the second tier title and you're going to continue to get big time exposure on boxing networks that and be in these types of co-feature positions, he's gotten a lot of exposure previously on Fox. He's now on Showtime, um, you know, and I think he wants to. David Merle, the athlete, wants to fight better guys, but it's time to step him up. You know, you can't have it both ways. If you call yourself a WBA mid, super middleweight champion, regular title or otherwise, and you're getting prime real estate on Showtime, you yep. know, one of the most important boxing networks that there is. Uh, you kind of got to fight somebody at this point. And I'm not knocking Calvin Henderson, but that was not a real legit type of title fight to me. That was him just taking on just a, a regular kind of guy that, that could have been relegated How to How realistic is it for him to maybe fight Benavides under the same umbrella or yes. Caleb Plant under the same umbrella? Is that realistic as much as we would fantasy matchmake that? Is it realistic for Morrell, just real quick? It is realistic. I think, I, personally, I'd rather see Benavides square off with Plant uh, as the two, two uh, more experienced guys more recently having been title holders, even if you think about Morrell with the second-tier title. But the three names that he mentioned uh, were Plant, Benavides, and he and Benavides have been going back viciously uh, on uh, you know social media and stuff, and also uh, uh, Anthony Durrell, who's also uh, coming off a good win and has been a, you know had a title and is a, a good fighter in his own right. So uh, I do think that we'll see him step up. I hope it's sooner than later. I don't think his handlers are afraid to step him up. Um, 
you know, he is a talented guy and uh, he looked good. He destroyed Henderson in four rounds, thought the ref could have easily stopped that in, uh, I believe it was in the third round or maybe it was in the second round where he was just battering him. And it was the late know, third was, round. And I thought Luis Paban, he had like one step in to yeah. step in and stop it. And the bell rang and the bell rang. And so I, he gave I him the really little surprise just from a safety standpoint. He took a ton of punishment at the end of the third and Pabone went into the corner and he's a veteran referee championship referee. And I thought he was maybe telling the corner guys, he yeah. is getting the daylights beat out of him, but he let the fighter come out, recover and come out, and then he got the daylights beat out of him again, early fourth <laughs> round, and that was it. No doubt, no no dispute. I just, he took more punishment, and that concerned me that I thought he needed to take in the fourth yeah. round from Morell. Well, point. the good thing also about Morell is that when they do step him up, um, you know, he's a Cuban boxer, but he is relocated and makes his home now in Minneapolis where the card was. They have adopted him. He sold a lot of those tickets. He's become like uh, uh, Did you, you know, hear I, the roar when they announced yeah, you him? Know, there was he, a roar know, there. I'm like, Morell's got, got a following in Minneapolis of all places. He does. He, which is about as place, odd for somebody that's been in the warm climate of Cuba for their whole <laughs> life as you can imagine. Continue, my friend. No, I was saying like the building is called the Armory and if you saw his trunks, he wears the, the Armory yeah. logo like they've adopted him. That's his place. So the point I'm making is when they do step him up uh, it's not, you know, at least he's going to have a home base where if, if they don't do it in like a Vegas or New York or yeah. place like that, that they're going to have a nice venue that has become a little bit of a boxing hotbed. I'm going to lose uh, my it, mind if I see him in a Vikings jersey and I see him ice fishing. <laughs> That's the next steps for Morell. Well, I'm good. anxious to see him step up because he's an excellent young fighter and uh, I think he fits in the mix. He's not ready for the Canelo Alvarez of the world yet. Um, I'm not so sure he's 100% ready for Benavides quite yet, but there is still going to be, there's got to be a happy medium between going to a Benavidez level guy or even a Canelo level guy uh, and fighting Calvin Anderson. There's other people in the middle. I think the Darrell match actually would be pretty interesting at this moment. Um, even though, even though Anthony's a little bit older at this point, but uh, look, that was the first uh, live fight they had on Showtime. Uh, they didn't spend an hour and a half between fights. They went to the main event next, like you're supposed to. And in that fight, as you mentioned, Stephen Fulton with a dominating victory against Danny Roman, who is a former unified title holder since his very, very close uh, disputed loss of those belts to uh, MJ Akbadaliev. Um, he had won two bouts in a row and, and Fulton coming off the unification where he was putting the two titles together, uh, at the end of last year in a great fight where he won a close decision against Brandon Figueroa. Danny Roman was like the next best guy in the division, other than Akhmedaliev, uh, that and they can make the match. And he just, look, you and I talked about this. We, we thought that Fulton would win the fight. Yep. But I think we both thought that it would be some competitive, there would be a competitive fight. And, uh, it was not a competitive fight. It was even less competitive in my mind frankly, than, uh, than the Devin Haney-Cambosis fight. Because at least for, there was a couple of rounds where even if you didn't give the rounds to Cambosis, he did something in the rounds where he did positive things. He might have landed a few punches, might have backed Devin Haney up a couple of times. Danny Roman didn't do that at all. It was a clean shot out of my mind. Uh, I, I, didn't, I was only able to watch part of it live, so I knew the result by the time I was able to watch the rest of the fight complete, which I did. Uh, so maybe because I, I already knew the result, but I didn't see him win any rounds in that fight. Um, I was te I was texting you because I was keeping up with that one for yeah. us with Big Fight Weekend and the website. And I said, uh, he's putting on a clinic. He's putting on a clinic with the jab. Uh, and it was so interesting. Give me a quick thought on this. He won against Brandon Figueroa and they could have fought that fight in a bathtub. I mean, they didn't move anywhere. Right. Uh, on the ropes. This was different. This was artistic. This was use your jab, use your lateral movement. That was very impressive that Fulton proved I can win this way too. That's my thought. What's your thought? No, I agree with that. He was, he showed his versatility. He fought him on the inside and he beat him up. He fought him on the outside. He beat him up with the jab. Um, Stephen Fulton, I, you know, 
I'm not going to say I was like a doubter or anything like that, but I like to be shown the evidence before I anoint a guy. You're the best in the division or you're this, or you're that. I think at this moment in time, it's pretty clear based on his domination of Angelo Leo, based on his uh, close but deserved victory against Brandon Figueroa in a terrific fight, based on a one-sided domination of Danny Roman, that in this weight class, he has proven himself over the last three or four fights that he is, in fact, a uh, number. He should be considered the top fighter in the weight class. He wants Akhmedaliyev to unify further for the undisputed title because he's got two belts. Akhmedaliyev has the other two. Akhmedaliyev has a fight coming up uh, later this month against his mandatory challenger, which has been delayed for various reasons against Ronnie Rios, who's a very good fighter also. One, uh, one time previously fought for the 122-pound title loss to Ray Vargas you know, a number of years ago. Um, Akhmedaliyev, I think, probably has enough to win that fight. The question will be if he does, can they make a match between Fulton and Akhmedaliyev? I like what Danny Roman said, who now has fought both men 24 rounds, lost widely, uh, and did not dispute the situation against Fulton on Saturday, uh, disputed the, the, the very close uh, split decision he had uh, against um, Akhmedaliyev that cost him his titles. And he said, look, I think it's pretty obvious who the best guy in the division. And he was talking about Stephen Fulton. And he said, I wish him good luck. Go get that undisputed. Uh, and if he fought the guy 24 rounds and lost to both guys and he's and he is strongly in favor of Fulton, that means something to me. Uh, maybe it's a little bit sour grapes because they took the decision away from him, but it wasn't like uh, Aquadalib was the judge in the fight. He would know. He would know. Yeah. And okay, so just one more before we move on to what was the knockout of the weekend in Cardiff, Wales from Joe Cordina. Uh, I would not be, uh, as a consolation prize, if you will, I would not be opposed to seeing Figueroa and Fulton again later this year. In your mind, is that even sort of realistic that we could see that one? I mean, I guess it will depend on if they can make the undisputed fight. I suppose if, look, Stephen Fulton told me in our interview that we did mm -hmm. uh, before the fight that we played on the, on the podcast leading into the fight, he said that he already told his people that's what he wants. So he will expect that when the June fight, uh, you know, later this month between Akhmedaliyev and Ronnie Rios happens, or even perhaps before, that they'll contact his handlers to see if they even want to have a negotiation, have a conversation, if it's even feasible. Because remember, it's hard to make. It's one thing for Fulton to want it. It's a different story because this is a deal. Because again, financially, Fulton against Akhmedaliyev is not some blockbuster fight. We like to see it as, as diehard junkies. But it's not the kind of fight that sells a million tickets. That's a pay-per-view. Remember, they had the fight in Minneapolis. Stephen Fulton was the main event. Fine. But the tickets, the people that came to the event, that was David Morrell bringing those people in for the most part. So everybody in an undisputed fight, if it were to happen between Fulton and Aquadive, has to have to have a realistic expectation of what the money is in the fight. So if it can happen, maybe they'll do it. Now, if they realize that it can happen, maybe they will give Brandon Figueroa a rematch. That would be a terrific fight. And I have to say, I'm not opposed if, you know, putting aside whatever Steven does, wouldn't, would there be anything wrong with seeing Brandon Figueroa against Danny Roman? That's a good fight also in my mind. All right. We'll see how that uh, all plays out. I love the knowledge of Dan Raphael. We're here for a few more minutes. Okay, Mighty One, you have been smoking on the BetUS preview uh, that we do with the gambling picks, et cetera, BetUS TV, the BetUS YouTube page. Find us Fridays at 1 uh, Eastern time. Also, we it's obviously there. It lives on the BetUS site. It lives on the BetUS YouTube page later on Friday and on Saturday. So you have been rolling. You were four for four last weekend. This past weekend now, you went four and one on the Saturday fights. The one loss you had, though, was this IBF junior lightweight showdown uh, between Kenichi Ogawa of Japan in his first title defense 
And Joe Cordina, a fighter I did not know a ton about. I looked into him a little bit out of Cardiff, Wales, fighting in front of the home fans. My Lord, did Cordina bring the hammer of Thor, as I like to say, with a one-punch right-hand knockout in the second round. Good gracious. So I thought Cordina might be able to wear him down and stop him, being inspired by the home crowd. I did not think one-punch knockout power, but man, knockout power was there Saturday. Give me your thoughts. Uh, on that one in the matchroom main event in the UK? Well, I think anybody that was backing Joe to win the fight uh, didn't think he was scoring a one-punch knockout either. He's a good boxer. He was an Olympian. He's got a good background in terms of his amateur pedigree. He's worked his way up. He didn't really have a lot of names on his record, but, you know, he's a talented guy. You don't go and, and, uh, and, and, and represent a country uh, in the Olympics if you're not a talented fighter in some way, form, or fashion. But he's known more as a boxer, not as a puncher. And so my one loss now went on the on the that US show that we're that you've been telling the folks about. Mm -hmm. We do the straight picks. We also do over under. We do method of you know uh, yep. of how it's going to happen. So when that when I'm four and one, I'm picking like over unders. I'm picking the winner. The one fight that I was not sure about, but I picked Ogawa, but I picked him on the money line. That's I didn't right. say a decision or a knockout. I just went straight for the win. Um, I thought that his his resume was a bit better than Cordina. I thought he looked pretty darn good when he won the title uh, in New York City back in the fall. And I just thought, you know, he would just had a little bit too much pedigree, let's say, uh, not as an amateur, but in the pros, where he might be just a, notch, a touch enough better than to get the win against Cordina. Uh, but anything can happen in boxing when you're throwing punches mm -hmm. at another guy's head. And that right hand that Cordina let loose in the second round, Ogawa never saw it. You know, I, I actually went back and I watched now a few times. Cordina did a little bit of a feint, a feint before he threw the punch. And I think he caught Ogawa's eye and it kind of messed him up. He didn't see it coming. It distracted him the way that he fainted very subtly, but it was there. And he let that right hand fly and it let him right on the chin. And, and when he caught him, he was out. But then it was the double knockout because not only did the punch connect clear on the chin, he then banged his head off the canvas. So he was trying to get up, but he didn't know where he was. He was falling Absolutely. over all over the place. And the ref had no choice but to stop the fight. And it's the kind of highlight reel knockout that is, career making because sure. it's one thing to win the world title it's another to do it in such absolutely spectacular fashion that it goes viral on social media and and every boxing fan is going to have either watch it live or see the video of it spectacular and it just made all of a sudden a guy like cordina that nobody knew about everybody's gonna now say i got to see that guy next well put on that i don't know if you saw this i put this in the recap i included it he said they called that the roberto duran they yes. been studying the duran faint and then the right hand behind it and god did he set ogawa up perfectly for it so tactically they were ready huge punch big win same kind of question to you all right so what might his future be uh, in another fight again different dance partners with promotional yeah. outlets, et cetera. But you're right. He's got some sizzle behind him after the knockout. What's next? Maybe well, Cordina later this year, right off the bat, people are saying, well, she fights Shakur Stevenson. Who's got the two of the titles who just unified against Oscar Valdez uh, at the end of April. Uh, and I actually asked a top rank official who represents obviously uh, Shakur Stevenson and their response to me is we'll take it in two seconds. We'll fight him, you know, in England. No problem. If we can make a deal, we'd be happy to wow. go there and do that fight. But, they, I'm not surprised because Shakur would be a huge favorite and it will never happen, or at least not for a long time. Now, I have no doubt that they would do that fight in two seconds, but Cordina is not going to go into that kind of fight on his first defense. Uh, that would be, frankly, in, in my opinion, that would be like his team serving him malpractice if they put him in with Shakur on, on the first defense. Uh, if you watch the card, the co-feature that night on Saturday afternoon, our time in Wales on zone was Zelfa Barrett winning the European title at the same weight class. He's also with Eddie Hearn. It wouldn't surprise me if um, 
maybe they'll give them a, a hometown fight in the first against defense against somebody else. But I think at some point, if they both are winning, uh, maybe the next fight, you'll see Cordina against Zelfa Barrett, which in the UK, in Wales, would be probably a pretty big deal. So that seems logical. He was in the co-feature. He won the European title. And maybe that will help boost him to get a shot at a world title. Uh, but I know one thing, and this is the key, if you're a professional boxer, if you're a fighter that was not really known outside of where you're from and you score that kind of uh, world stage announcing knockout, now you have people all over the place in America who are of boxing fans who want to see you fight next. So they're not going to rush him into those types of fights. It's okay to build a guy up a little bit. He's only got 15 pro fights. He's a little bit older at age 30, but he just won the title. He's the kind of guy I fully expect to have a hometown defense or two as he builds his name, builds the excitement around him before they put him in a big time fight. But Barrett, I think, could be on uh, the agenda at some point, you know, in the in the not too distant future, even if not the very next fight. I love it when you and I kind of mix it up and go back and forth. And again, look, I, I, I did not send you the text saying told you like I kind of joked on the bet US <laughs> that I would. And I did not expect a one punch bomb like that. I love the value of the play of Cordina winning by stoppage or KO on plus 750. Make $7.50 on every dollar you're betting. So I loved it on that betting line, but I did not expect what we saw. I do know this. I want to make you laugh before we get out of here uh, here in a moment that he won on Saturday night in Cardiff, Wales, his hometown, and then the Welsh national soccer team qualified for the World Cup Sunday afternoon. If there was alcohol to be had Saturday <laughs> night or Sunday, it has been consumed as we come off the weekend. I bet they're out in Wales. All the pints, all the Guinness, all the whatever, it has all been consumed after those two fights. There was probably some serious celebrating going on. For both of those, I uh, wouldn't be a surprise. One of the things I really enjoyed, by the way, uh, on the, the zone broadcast, because the fight was in Cardiff and uh, who's one of the, the greatest Welsh fighters of all time. And that's the former super middleweight unified champion who retired undefeated now in the Hall of Fame. And that's my good pal, Joe Calzaghe, mm -hmm. who I always enjoyed covering and interviewing and always had a good relationship with. Hadn't seen or talked to him in a long time, other than the occasional uh, message on Twitter. But uh, it was great to see him uh, sitting there in their on-site studio portion and doing a great job on the punditry. And uh, I'm glad to see Joe Calzaghe part of boxing because it's been a while. He's now managing some fighters, and they actually have a boxer that he and uh, his uh, partner are uh, have. I forget the kid's name, but he's he's going to be fighting on the matchroom card that takes place in San Antonio coming up uh, on the 24th or 25th. I forget when Jesse Bam Rodriguez defends the flyweight title. He, Joe Calzaghe's got his kid on that card, so he's supposed. He said on the broadcast he's making the trip to Texas to uh, to be with the fighter that he signed, and uh, so I'm glad to see Joe. Uh, enjoying another Welsh champion and coming back to the United States with his fighter and, uh, and, and getting himself more back involved in the sport uh, that, uh, that he was so great in for so long. A lot of great stuff here. we got to go in a moment on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. Now, this is unusual. We're kind of in the Netherlands here, the nether region, uh, if I'm looking for it, that uh, we've got a fight, a championship fight, Tuesday morning U.S. time, Tuesday night Japanese time, with Naoya the Monster Inouye and Nonito Donaire for three of the Bantamweight titles. Heck of a first fight. Fight of the year candidate first fight. Rematch well, now coming two and a half years later. So Fight, fight of the year. Fight consensus. of the year. It consensus fight of the year. All right, so good enough. Two and a half years later, this is the rematch. Uh, you and I both believe it's in a way we predicted on the bet us show. Again, we're plugging away for that. We predicted knockout stoppage. We both, we both think that for this fight. 
So I just want you to touch on that one more time, because even though this is a recap podcast, we have that fight before we have the next big fight weekend preview coming on Friday. Give one more comment to this audience about that. Well, first of all, if you're going to watch the fight, uh, if you live on the East Coast, you're going to be up at about 530. I think the main event will go, you know, a couple hours later, but, you know, it's going to be on early. Same, you know, even earlier if you're on the West Coast, uh, evening time in Japan, like you said. Look, their first fight was spectacular. Phenomenal fight, uh, competitive fight, one that, but one that in a way won without controversy. Uh, but he got uh, a broken orbit bone in that fight. He got busted up a bit, but he also scored a knockdown against Donaire. You know, you're talking about an all-time great, young, a smaller weight fighter in Donaire who is 39 years old, has already broken records for being the oldest to win the Bantamweight title, who then broke that record. He's won titles in four weight classes. Whatever happens on Tuesday, he's a first ballot lock Hall of Famer, a former fighter of the year. Uh, now he's been in. Uh, Donaire has had a, he's a fighter of the year. He has had a fight of the year and he has scored the knockout of the year back when he uh, won the Bantamweight title by knocking out and absolutely obliterating uh, Fernando Montiel in a fight that I was ringside for in Las Vegas. So he's won all the big awards and, uh, you know, won a lot of titles and beat a lot of quality guys, uh, unified titles multiple times, gone up and down the weight scale, just an all-time great smaller weight fighter. And uh, But he's 39 and in a way is in his prime and in a way has been a champion in multiple weight classes also. And he won the first fight. He scored a knockdown in the first fight. Hard to pick against him. And I said this like we talked about uh, on one of the other shows. I am a big Donaire fan. I know him personally. Sure. I've known him for many years, his family. I have great respect for them. I like them so much on a personal level. They're just wonderful people. Donaire is a class guy, always has been. As good a guy as you can meet in boxing. And it hurts my heart to pick against him. It really does. But I like to be right on my picks, not wrong, as I've told <laughs> you. So my heart says Donaire, obviously. My head says you pick the 20-something guy over the almost 40-year-old guy who already beat that guy once before and knocked him down, and it's on his home turf. Yep. And it's just one of those things where, yes, Donaire has looked outstanding in his last two victories against not guys at the same level as, as Inouye, just awfully hard to, uh, to pick against, uh, no, to, to pick against uh, Inouye in this, in this situation. He's going in the Hall of Fame probably someday also on the pound-for-pound pound list. I hope it's a great fight. You know, if Donaire wins, I'm going to be enthralled for him. If he loses, he's got no shame. He's, he's willing to take on a, the monster and, uh, you know, may the best man win. And it's a big fight because the winner comes out with three of the Bantamweight titles. And it's a lucrative fight for both, and they deserve it. And the monster's got power in either hand, and we've seen him fight some in the United States. I am not a coffee guy. You will have coffee and be up probably early. I will have cereal and be up early. And we'll see what I'm happens. Not big, I'm not that big on coffee either, All to right, be honest. Maybe a little, maybe a little iced coffee once in a while, but uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe orange juice for you and a bagel. I don't know, but I'm, gonna I'm go definitely going to be up though. I'll I'm going to go up. cereal, and we will have a little breakfast with the monster and uh, the Filipino Flash, and see what happens Tuesday. And with that, that's a full show here on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. Anything else in closing off the weekend? Are we good, Dan Rayfield? Well, I will tease and let the fans and the viewers and the and the listeners know that coming and I'll send you the audio as we talked about. I had in the last few days a tremendous one-on-one uh, -on -one lengthy interview with uh, the outstanding trainer Derek James, who is the trainer of the undisputed junior middleweight champion Charlo. He is the trainer of the unified welterweight champion Errol Spence. He is the trainer of the outstanding up-and-coming lightweight uh, uh, prospect who's got a fight coming up on Showtime, um, and. Uh, you know, we, we uh, Frank, Frank Martin, and we had a really good interview where he touched on a lot of different topics. 
He went into in depth on Charlo's recent victory to become undisputed in the rematch with Castaño. Talked about the uh, Spence victory against Ugas. He went in on his views and thoughts about the, the prospect of the fight that's being negotiated between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, which we hope will be at the end of this year for the undisputed welterweight championship. So we'll put that on another on a separate podcast. Yes. And I certainly hope that all the folks will tune in because Derek is a very astute boxing guy, had an awful lot to say about those various topics and is a real good interview. My God, yes. I mean, fantastic stuff. Again, I keep saying to you fans that are hearing us, we put out different content on this very feed. Be following and subscribing because you're going to get that interview with Dan, uh, with Derek James automatically without us having to tell you social media link or on the website or whatever. If you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, it'll come right to you. He's talked to the likes of Ryan Garcia and Eddie Hearn one-on-one, uh, guys like Errol Spence himself, Oscar De La Hoya, and others. Uh, Any. And Derek, uh, Devin Haney as well. He's gotten one-on-one conversations. And so now I'm fascinated because that guy is not just red hot. He's white hot in the corner with all these different fighters that have done this well. So I'm fascinated by that conversation. Think about this though, real quick, TJ. Derek James is the only trainer in boxing who has two unified champions at the same time. One of them who was undisputed. Yeah. He's doing something right. I mean, he's never won the trainer of the year award, but he's, he's been in the mix and, you know, at least right now, the way that, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess, with Crawford and Spence if it happens. But certainly what he's done with Errol in the last few fights and what he's done with Charlo, you know, he's one of the best trainers in boxing. There's no doubt about it. And it's interesting because he was a professional himself, but he was just a marginal pro. But he's turned out to be uh, obviously a tremendous uh, trainer. We look forward to that later in the week. Again, Fight Freaks Unite, the recap show, usually off the weekend, usually to your inbox. Uh, if you're subscribing, et cetera, on Monday morning, as we come off the weekend and we've come to the end of another show here this weekend, outstanding stuff. We covered a lot of different fights, a lot of different recaps. Again, we've got a preview show coming later this weekend, but a Derek James conversation in the middle and a monster Donaire fight that is coming on Tuesday that we'll be writing about and talking about once that happens as well. Tuesday morning, U S time, Tuesday night in Japan. Dan Rayfield, I love it. Great stuff. Thank you, as always, on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. You bet, TJ. And we thank you for listening and finding us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed preview show coming later in the week. Dan's conversation with Derek James will be in the middle on this very feed. Thank you for being with us on Fight Freaks Unite. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.